If you're gay, then you're gay. Don't pretend that you're straight. You could be who you are any day of the week. You are unlike the others, so strong and unique. We're all with you. If you're straight, well, that's great. You can help procreate and make gay little babies for the whole human race. Make a world we can live in where the one who you love's not an issue. Cause we're all somewhere in the middle. We're all just looking for love to change the world. Ah. And we're all here in it together. Thanks for tuning in, and welcome to IMRU Radio Magazine. The nation's longest-running lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender radio show. Out front and out loud since 1974. I'm Wenzel Jones. And I'm Abby Dees. Well, it's that time of year again. The annual SciFest LA kicks off on May 5th with a lineup of new sci-fi one-acts. And joining us tonight to discuss the intersection of geek and gay is actor Nelson Asensio, who as Flavius brought the glam to the Hunger Games, and Jack Kenny, the producer behind sci-fi TV faves like Warehouse 30, and Falling Skies. And you might remember a couple of weeks ago, we talked with a wonderful trans activist, the Reverend Gwen Fry, who is given a good fight, basically, in Arkansas. And when I reached out to her, I had no idea that she actually had a very personal story to tell beyond those laws. So we're going to talk to her a little bit about her experience coming out trans in the pulpit. And after that, we'll have actor, trans activist, educator, and one of our favorite guests, Scott Turner Schofield, here in the studio. He is currently driving like mad from Arizona to make it to the studio. So we'll see how that turns out. Yes, we will. But first, <laughs> here's the national and international news from This Way Out. I'm Carol Myers. And I'm John Dyer V. With NewsWrap, a summary of some of the news in or affecting LGBT communities around the world for the week ending April 16, 2016. LGBT rights activists in Kenya have filed a first-ever challenge to the East African nation's penal code statutes that punish carnal knowledge against the order of nature with up to 14 years in prison. Gross indecency with another male is punishable by five years in jail. The laws date back to 1930. Eric Gatari, who leads Kenya's National Gay and Lesbian Human Rights Commission, says those laws violate constitutional rights to equality, dignity, and privacy, and make it socially acceptable to persecute, intimidate, and extort sexual minorities. The petition itself charges that the laws degrade the inherent dignity of affected individuals by outlawing their most private and intimate means of self-expression. President Uhuru Kenyatta told Barack Obama during the U.S. president's visit to his ancestral homeland last year that there are some things that African cultures or societies just don't accept. His government said it prosecuted 595 people under the anti-gay statutes between 2010 and early 2014. In 2015, Guitari won the right in court to officially register his group, but the government refuses to accept the ruling. According to Reuters, Guitari is also involved in a case challenging the government's use of forced anal tests to prove that two men in the city of Mombasa had had sex. He told the news agency that the petition in that case would be heard in October. 
North Carolina's embattled Republican governor Pat McCrory continued his efforts this week to defend the anti-queer law he signed in late March, HB2. It forces trans people to use the bathroom that corresponds to the gender on their birth certificate rather than the facility they feel most comfortable in. The only provision McCrory wants to talk about. He continues to insist that the law did not take anyone's rights away even though HB2 also specifically overturned an LGBT civil rights ordinance in the city of Charlotte and banned any other local government from passing similar protections. He issued a video message this week calling on lawmakers to fix the law in some unspecified ways while continuing to support the anti-trans provision. That effort hasn't stopped more and more companies from refusing to do business in the state and a growing list of entertainers, including Bruce Springsteen, Ringo Starr, Mumford & Sons, Annie DeFranco, Cirque du Soleil, and comic Joel McHale, have either canceled gigs in the Tar Heel State or donated the profits from their shows to local LGBT advocacy groups. Meanwhile, Mississippi's Republican Governor Phil Bryant, who signed a law this week allowing parishioners to carry guns in church, also continues to defend his state's so-called religious freedom law. It allows people in both the private and public sectors to discriminate against sexual minorities or anyone else they don't like based on sincerely held religious belief or moral conviction. The law, enacted in late March, has already cost the hospitality state significant tourism dollars, and its trade association joined a growing number of businesses this week urging lawmakers to repeal it. More and more entertainers are also boycotting the state. Out lesbian Robin Roberts of ABC TV's Good Morning America is a Mississippi native. Ironically, she graces the cover of this year's Mississippi Tourism Association Guide. In a statement condemning the anti-LGBT law this week, she noted that she agreed to be on the cover last year, well before recent events. Tennessee's Republican Attorney General Herbert Slattery has announced his opposition to a so-called bathroom bill currently being considered in the state legislature. He warns that its passage could cost the volunteer state millions of dollars in federal funds. Obama administration officials have already announced the possible loss of funding in North Carolina and Mississippi because of their discriminatory laws. The proposal in Tennessee, echoing the bill passed in North Carolina, criminalizes trans people who use the public facilities, such as bathrooms and locker rooms, that match their gender identity rather than what their birth certificate says. Republican Governor Bill Haslam has also expressed concerns about the bill jeopardizing federal funding, but hasn't said if he would sign or veto it. And opposition from the business and entertainment communities to the anti-trans measure also continues to put pressure on the Republican-dominated legislature to abandon it. Like the literally hundreds of anti-LGBT bills infecting a number of states this year, the Tennessee measure is seen as an attempt to push back against the U.S. Supreme Court's June 2015 civil marriage equality ruling. But Louisiana Governor John Bell Edwards, a Democrat, issued an executive order this week rescinding the anti-gay edicts of his predecessor, Bobby Jindal. The far-right Republican had issued religious freedom orders allowing discrimination against sexual and gender minorities. Governor Edwards, who took office in January, also banned anti-LGBT bias by government contractors. Pennsylvania Governor Tom Wolfe issued a similar order protecting LGBT state workers from discrimination last week. 
These pro-LGBT actions are no doubt a response to the anti-queer laws being passed or considered in other states. And finally, the makers of Wheaties may be a bit late to the corporate pool party, but they finally dove in. A company announced last week that four-time Olympic gold medalist Greg Louganis would appear on the orange-colored cereal box as part of a new Wheaties Legends series. The openly gay, HIV-positive diver, now 56 years old, has speculated that homophobia was most likely why General Mills, the maker of Wheaties, didn't make him a cover boy after his 1984 and 1988 Summer Olympics triumphs. But he told the New York Times that finally getting on the Wheaties box might truly be better late than never. This means so much more than it would have back then, he said. Getting it now means people will see me as a whole person, a flawed person who is gay, HIV positive, with all the other things I've been through. He expressed his elation during a promotional interview distributed by General Mills. I think it's really incredible to see how far we've come as far as human rights and acknowledging love, respect. I mean, I'm legally married now to my husband, and we've been married for two years. And now Wheaties Legends Series Box. I never thought I'd see this day. That's News Wrap for the week ending April 16th, 2016. Produced by Steve Pride, written by Greg Gordon, and recorded at the studios at KPFK Los Angeles. Follow the news in your area and around the world. An informed community is a strong community. News Wrap from This Way Out is brought to you by you. Help keep us on the air and in your ears at thiswayout.org where you can also read the text of this newscast. For This Way Out, I'm John Dyer V. And I'm Carol Myers. Remember, you can hear all 30 commercial-free minutes of This Way Out on the podcast at thiswayout.org and on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. The connection between science fiction and queer culture dates back to the 1940s, I promise you. And the intersection between the outsider cultures of gays and geeks has never been stronger. So it's no surprise there's a lot of community interest in Sci-Fi Fest LA, a festival or Sci-Fest LA. I did it. I said it wrong. We the knew it was going to happen. We knew it was going to happen. It's done Sci now. Fest I heard you LA. arguing about it before we yes, started. Yes, we, we were arguing about <laughs> it. A festival of science fiction one acts launching its third incarnation in just a few weeks. And joining us in studio live, sitting in front of us, is actor Nelson Asensio, who you have loved in The Hunger Games as Flavius, and also on Mad TV, and TV producer, writer Jack Kennedy, who's the man behind Warehouse 13, Book of Daniel, and Falling Skies. So welcome, gentlemen. Hi. Hello. I'm Hi. Jack Kenny, actually. Kenny, I'm That's sorry. Right. Okay. Just now, a great guys, day in the studio. I just know. have lots of extra syllables lying around we, here. We so do. I don't put them into things. I We're don't just blame trying you. to distribute them throughout the show. Uh, just in case I get a job out of this, I want to make sure they call <laughs> the right person. So, although this thing is organized by I am our you favorite, David Dean Pretrell, he's the producer, the man behind it all. What are the specific hats that you two are wearing? So let's start with you. I'm a director and a writer on this one, a co-writer. And um, you are? I'm Jack Kenny. Yeah, Hi. Okay. Just so we recognize <laughs> your voice. Yeah, Jack Ken- I can speak I can speak with an accent if it makes it easier. <laughs> no, you're, no, the original one's good. Okay. Yeah. Um, I, I co-wrote and am directing the, the Yattering and Jack based on a Clive Barker no- novelette or short story or graphic novelette. I don't know. There's so many phrases. Now. Who knows? It's a Clive Barker thing. That we turned into a stage thing. And there are, there are a few more adaptations. There's one adapted from Janicean, a Janicean property, one from a Neil Gaiman property. Yep. Mm-hmm. But by and large, they're mostly original scripts, correct? Yeah. Well, I, and even when you adapt something from a, from a story, it's, yeah. it's essentially an original script anyway because it's, you know, it's a different, entirely different medium. So you have to do a lot to it. 
Okay. To make it work. Mm-hmm. And then Nelson, what exactly what uh, are you yeah. doing on the show? I'm uh, a puppet. No, I'm one of the many <laughs> actors involved in SciFest, and I'm in a piece called Randomized Skin, and uh, it's uh, been written by two really funny guys, uh, Chuck Armstrong and Charlie Stockman. They go by the Charles. They have a sketch show. And this is all happening at the Acme Theater on La Brea. Yeah, yeah on La Brea, Acme. has a long and storied history. And if you need the address, it is Beverly 135 North La Brea, right next to. Is the restaurant still called Amalfi? Yeah, yes. yeah. It's attached to Amalfi. It's a great uh, restaurant. Great it food. is. It's a great location. It's a total evening out, a dinner and a show. And exactly. you only have to park once. It is a complete yeah. date. It is. It's so cool. even though it's presented as a festival of sci-fi one acts, it seems like an umbrella term because when you go to the website I see there's also a weekend of classic sci-fi movies being screened is that involved yeah there, I, I don't know about the movies I know they're doing uh, there's awards that given out for best short story mm-hmm. there's, uh, there's there's a whole lot of different things that, that's on the website which is www.cc you're doing it too I know I had an extra w it's the air .scifest which is sci-fest.com you can go there. You can buy tickets. You can see all this, all the events that are happening. We do uh, still have tickets available. We would love to sell out the festival as soon as possible, and we will be selling out. It's a small theater, so it does uh, sell. Get quickly. to the get to yeah. the website as as soon as you can and buy your tickets. and uh, And if you feel free, if you feel just particularly flush today, please donate money. We could we could always use a few <laughs> extra dollars to do another effect on stage. Everybody in Los Angeles can use a donation. Of course. Anybody of course. doing anything interesting and creative like this. Yeah, I'll but we're on the radio. That. Yes. <laughs> now, when you bring up special effects, when I was reading about this, I'm wondering how do you do sci-fi on a stage? Because it seems when we think of sci-fi movies, even the early cheesy ones, they were somewhat driven by special effects that you can't really effectively Paper do on a stage. Well, sci-fi has grown a lot in uh, three years. It's really evolving, and it's grown tentacles. I mean, it's really taken off. So they have a little more money, but like I said, we can always use a little more, you know. And uh, they've uh, become really creative at uh, incorporating a lot of sci-fi images, some visuals up on the walls. We have monitors. Uh, we've got... Uh, uh, more special effects sort of uh, prosthetics that we're using. I myself will be involved in something. I'm not sure quite what it is, but it looks really involved and really cool and kind of scary. So that'll be fun. And also it's the ideas, too. It's, it's I mean, the original science fiction didn't, ha- I mean, science fiction novels are all in your head. And, and uh, so you can imagine what you want. And then the original movies, they had, you know, pieces of thread and cheesy. Uh, so a lot bad. of it is imagination. And the for you know for instance Clyde Barker and Neil Gaiman as you mentioned are are science fiction writers and their ideas are sort of science fiction so we do what we can uh, special effect wise but a lot of times it's it's the idea and it's yeah the, the it's notion. it's theater so we're leaving a lot to your imagination as well to go on that journey with us um, Steve today dug out an interesting article or something that NPR had done looking at sort of the connections between early sci-fi and queer culture and definitely was that sort of idea of the outsider that mm-hmm. other perspective and also just the fact that a lot of this writing was happening kind of a grassrootsy almost right. early proto-zine like way I mean what do you guys think of that are you sort of grappling with those ideas I, now? I think when you grow up feeling like an outsider or you're feeling isolated, I think that just gives a lot more fodder for your imagination to come up with interesting ideas. Maybe a lot of things were spawned out of isolation or being an outsider. For me, I know it has as an actor, as an artist, you know, when I have certain thoughts about approaching material might come out of the fact of my own personal experience. 
Yeah, there's a lot of, uh, you were you know nerds nerds were beaten up as much as yeah. gays were in, in in high school so i mean I, I can speak to the to both sides of it and so i mean i think you i think you're you're right that that it's an outsider feeling and and uh we also i think um you know it's, it's a very creative it's a very creative world and you're in your and you're in your own head a lot and i think at least when i grew up i was in my own head a lot yeah. uh and and so i think that there's a relationship there you sort of relate to the way you, I think gays and lesbians can relate to the way science fiction people think, because it's sort of you're doing a lot in your own head. Yeah, there's you know? a lot of escape uh, escapism, just getting out of your head and going into a different world. Um, the established rules also can get thrown up and t- turned upside down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of like uh, parallel themes always running through a lot of the stories, which are pretty relevant. You know, and just in how we deal with differences or people from other worlds, whether it's a metaphor for. You know, it's just mm-hmm. being from a different community. So I think it, it tackles a lot of those issues. They surprisingly come up in the writing. I mean, what, what is the line that actually makes something sci-fi? Can you just take a regular story and say, well, that's not an alien. Now it's sci-fi. I mean, because sometimes I, I, I'm i never well, really clear on it's, that. Well, it's, you know, it's, it, it has, there's a scientific element of mm-hmm. some sort, whether it's alien or whether it's, you know, under 20,000 leagues under the sea mm-hmm. or some sort of supernatural, s- something right? that feels science or scientifically oriented. And then, you know, the fiction being the false part, you know, mm-hmm. being the made up story. Um, so it's just anything that's heightened beyond what feels real, you know, real like it's not to Ken. It's not Dickensian. It's not a, right. you know, H.G. Wells wrote uh, um, fantastical ideas that uh, she he imagined. Sorry, I said she because it's that extra yeah. syllables thing. Well, H.G. Wells was a on our on Warehouse Thirteen. H.G. Wells was a woman. Oh, we we, we, we a, a, a bisexual woman was. We our mythology was that H.G. Wells was a bisexual woman who used her brother as her front to write her stories while she had adventures and, and came up with ideas. It's a, oh, it was a that. thing going on, on on Warehouse 13, and it was played by Jamie Murray. But uh, that's not what I'm here to promote. Um, <laughs> Get back to Simon. You know, but Jamie, if you're listening, donate some money. Um, uh, but it's it's you know it's always about it's always about thinking outside the box, thinking beyond what is real and normal and accepted, and thinking outside of that and i think you touched on that as well and i think uh that's what makes it relatable to gays and lesbians because we kind of live outside the box Mm -hmm. at least we have it's it's almost kind of sad how normal gay and lesbian has become (laughs) yeah really yeah so now we're getting used to the wait lgbtq it's growing the acronym is growing um you know i know which is is good in a way i miss the marching well, yeah. I know. And now when you go and see... And the fr- being freaks yeah. a little bit. Yeah, it's yeah. a little bit, a little bit being... Wait a minute. Aren't you going to ostracize me? No, you're fine. Yeah. Why don't you hate we're me? We're like no, very mainstream love you. now. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, as, long as, you're, as long as you fly over those states where yeah. we're not. Yeah. Exactly. I know. Well, yeah. when you go see gay stand-up comedy, now they want to talk about the kids all the time. Oh, yeah. It's like, when did this happen? Oh, I know. And divorce. And, yeah. But, <laughs> but very seriously, do you think that this sci-fi gives room then to express that part of us a little bit like more than just sort of mainstream culture and art yeah i think it gives you a way to think uh, beyond normality and and more options yeah because because we're not because now everything feels so normal gay and lesbian feel so normal now it's a it's a way to to stretch out beyond normal and Mm -hmm. go what you know what what if one of us is an alien what if it's gay couple but one's an alien right at least that's a little different maybe that's it yeah, I don't know. Now, the green screen section of the uh, festival is actually screenplays, right? But they're stage readings of screenplays. They're not going to... I don't... Uh, I, I, 
So you guys have nothing us, to do with it. Well, no, no. Both <laughs> okay. of us have been buried in our in our respective yeah. plays. Oh, okay. So we haven't really uh, taken the overview of the whole festival. I didn't even know about the green screen section. There's in that case, I will state play. that as a fact. No, that's okay. kind of, yes, you should. There's a, so they read screen. They do stage reading of screenplays. Yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. That's fantastic. I know that there is uh, one piece that is actually right now Tribeca's future boyfriend, and that was a piece that we did in the first season of SciFest. Mm-hmm. It was a play. And it did really well. Oh, and Emily it, Bell, right? Yeah, Emily yeah. Bell and Ron Morehouse, two great actors, really nice people. And uh, it was such a success, such a breakout. So it just evolved from there. And then they wrote it into a short film, and it's now at Tribeca. And it's going to screen at SciFest. Oh, wow. Do you guys have to be a sci-fi geek to enjoy this? Or oh, no. Okay. no, not no, at no. all. Kinda My brother's not even be. a theater person, and he's coming <laughs> back. He's like, I loved it. He had such a blast. Because for good him, stories. it's like it, it's, it's good, good stories. stories, original yeah. pieces. They were surprising to him because it's not what you typically might see in and around town, you know. And like all good theater, it's a good story well told. I actually find that more interesting than just watching a bunch of lasers go off and and, and, and a lot of fighting, which is mostly a lot of sci-fi movies now. It's Half of it is the, the fight scenes that we've all seen 400 times. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. this is actually lets you get involved and laugh and use your imagination as an audience member. And I think people, when, once they get in the theater, they really like that. Now, is, yeah. it, is it anything like sitting through an Outer Limits marathon <laughs> and to your children? You, I can't explain it to you because that was always my favorite show. No, I remember was, that show. It was I'm very tech low effects. Right. But it was it was very much It was much simple storytelling, but, yeah. Um, yeah, but absolutely, yeah, it was provocative. Um, sure, the Night Gallery and Twilight Zone yeah, were the same. That, there were almost yeah. no special effects. Yeah. In those shows, it was I mean, all in your head. It was Twilight ideas. Zone didn't have that many special effects. It looked like a cardboard. No, no, UFO. I guess it didn't. Yeah, no, it didn't really have much. It was the tone, the writing, great acting. Yeah. You know, just yeah. great storytelling. But they're so seductive. It's like you you can sit and watch ten of those in a row. Now, an evening yeah. an evening of the festival will be how many plays? Because you've got two different there's five each evening. Yeah, five or six. Evening A opens on May fifth. Uh-huh. Uh, I think there's five plays in. Evening. I know there's yeah. five in evening B, which opens mm-hmm. on May twelfth. And uh, um, you're you're May fifth, right? Yeah, um, we're the first. We're the first stop. I'm in weekend A. Yeah, right. And when evening B opens on May twelfth, so please come see both. Yes. And another chance to name drop. I believe Walter Koenig from Star Trek. Yes, is yes. involved in one of these plays we as have well. Peter McKenzie is in ours, and Allison Scagliotti from Warehouse Thirteen. Mm-hmm. And Mark Povinelli, we have a they're fantastic actors. Yeah, there's that, a lot of people involved. So be there. It's from May 5th through the 29th at the Acme Theater on La Brea Avenue, and the website is sci-fest.com. Is there anything else you'd like to add before we say farewell? So sadly, so no, quickly. No, no, no. Was very quick. Thank you. Please, please come. It's, you'll have a great time. We promise. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Well, Thanks, thank guys. you. Thank you so much for coming. So this is a part of the show where the audience is sitting at home thinking, I'm so glad I just heard that interview. Because I have plans now. (laughs) But what could I do to make sure there's more fun interviews like that coming my way? Well, you know what the answer is? What? Go go to our website. Go to kpfk.org and just throw a little money our way. Don't call the station. For 25? No, don't call the station because we're not doing pledge break. And actually, we don't like pledge break any more than you do. So just if you can take a moment, go to the website, $25, you become a member of IMRU, and you really are the lifeblood of what we do. I know. It's a full membership. We bring these things to you. We don't get any of that money, I can assure you. Abby and I see not a penny of it. Well, you might not. No. Thank you. <laughs> but it, it goes just basically to keep the lights on around here, to keep the equipment running, and that costs money. 
And it's easy to do. WWWC, just through the three W's, .kpfk.org. And we'll be right back. World boxing champion Emil Griffith, coming up now on the Rainbow Minute. One of the most popular and successful boxers of the 1960s, Emil Griffith was also its first widely acknowledged gay champion. Despite winning five world titles, Griffith is perhaps best known for his ill-fated welterweight fight with arch-rival Benny the Kid Perrette in 1962. Having split their first two bouts in 1961, Griffith and Perrette were set for a rubber match. In the contentious pre-fight buildup, Perrette mocked Griffith and challenged his masculinity, even using the contemptuous epithet maricon to rile him. But in the twelfth round of the fight, Griffith knocked Perrette out. Sadly, Perrette never regained consciousness and died soon after the fight. I would have quit, Griffith said of boxing, but I didn't know how to do anything else. The Rainbow Minute is produced by Judd Proctor and Brian Burns and recorded in the studios at WRIR in Richmond, Virginia, and read by volunteers like me, Steve Bush. Hello, this is the actor Michael Emerson. It's not easy being one of the others, so if time travel or moving the island isn't an option and you're feeling sort of lost, try listening to IMRU on KPFK 90.7 FM Los Angeles and 98.7 FM Santa Barbara. Welcome back, and you are listening to IMRU Radio. I'm Abby Dees. I'm Wenzel Jones. Now, a couple of weeks ago, we broadcast part of a conversation Abby had with a trans woman in Arkansas about the attempted repeal of LGBT equality legislation in her state, but that was only a part of her story. Two years ago, Episcopal priest Gwen Fry came out publicly as a trans woman, and despite genuine support from within her church, a firestorm erupted beyond her imagining. The Reverend Gwen Fry had been the priest in charge for a year at Grace Episcopal Church in Pine Bluff, Arkansas, when everything changed. Before I came out, I heard time and time again I was the best priest they ever had in the last 25 years. The day I came out and the day afterwards, I was a monster. A little background first. For many years, the Episcopal Church has been moving toward the understanding that, as Gwen puts it, the T also belongs in the alphabet soup. Then, in 2012, gender identity and gender expression officially became part of the Episcopal Church's non-discrimination canon. This was the moment Gwen decided that she would start the journey to come out to her church and community. In February 2014, Gwen told her bishop and the vestry. She felt supported and encouraged by everyone. Well, almost. But there was one individual who, when I came out at the vestry meeting, just turned to me and asked me, well, does this mean that you're going to be wearing curlers in your hair and have eyeshadow in the pulpit? Because no woman would wear curlers in her hair in the pulpit. Well, that's a stupid question. (laughs) Exactly. But that was just kind of where they were coming from. The bishop counseled a careful step-by-step approach to coming out to the whole parish, hoping to create time for reflection. And that was the plan, briefly. But word immediately leaked out, and that was it for baby steps. So what the vestry asked me to do is to basically tell the entire parish at a special coffee hour on that next Sunday. And so that Sunday rolled around, and our average Sunday attendance was about 50. That Sunday there were 90 in the pews. And with everything that was going on, I think it was the most intimidating moment of my entire life, standing up in front of a parish hall full of people 
and coming out to them and answering questions about what it meant to be trans. That was difficult. That was very difficult. After you did that, you said you got a lot of positive response from the parish. What form did that take? Them talking to folks who were upset or concerned, not necessarily upset. Their support of me and my family to see how we were doing, Mm -hmm. emails, telephone calls. They were really, really working hard to stay out in front of this momentum that was building. Unfortunately, even with their help, that never happened. The Monday morning after I came out to the parish, the local newspaper was calling the diocesan office and me for interviews and statements. Tuesday morning, it made the front page of the local paper. Mm. By Tuesday afternoon, there were media folks from the local television stations kind of camped out in front of my house, hoping to get a view. It was very, very difficult because my spouse was also a priest in a different parish. And at that point in time, we were concerned that she too would be losing her position over that. By Wednesday morning, I just saw that there was no way that I could get out in front of it. The parish was splitting up over this and breaking up. It was even into some of the families where spouses were kind of divided on this and children against their parents. And I couldn't stand to see people that I love go through this. Um, And so I called the bishop on that Wednesday morning and I told him that he put me in the position and, um, you know, he had the ability and the authority to, to get me out. And so he did that. There was a special vestry meeting that Wednesday evening. Uh, he wrote a letter to the senior warden of the vestry and the vestry, which basically dissolved the pastoral relationship between myself and the parish. And that was the last time I walked out of that church building. <laughs> did you feel at all supported by the diocese or people in positions of authority? Yes, I did. The bishop was extremely supportive. Perhaps not in a public way, but certainly quietly behind the scenes. For that, I am very grateful. Once this broke and once the blog sphere started picking up and running with this story, my trans friends, both within the Episcopal Church and in the general public, were very, very helpful and supportive of me and my family. (laughs) If Facebook is an indicator, the couple of days after I lost my position, You know, there were folks from all around the world who were sending friend requests and things like that because they had heard what had happened. And that was quite powerful for me to see that I had that kind of support, not only locally and nationally, but with folks from around the world. That was nice. I just want to be absolutely clear that I understand. It seems to me like you saw kind of an eruption. Did you initiate the idea that you had to leave or was that going to happen anyway? It was going to happen anyway. It had just gotten beyond anyone's control and and took on a life of its own. I've painted that congregation in a negative light, and I don't want to do that. I chose to come out there and transition there because I truly did feel like there was a chance of uh, having success and staying in that position because they are quite progressive. It was just different with their priest. (laughs) Did this do anything to your faith? No. 
Did your faith get you through this? It most certainly did. Anyone who's been active in a religious tradition, especially clergy, knows that you cannot put your faith in the institution. You have to put your faith in God. I did that. It was very, very difficult those first few days. But after I lost my position, as a matter of fact, the day after that, a friend of mine from another local parish who did not know what had happened the evening before just invited me to a church service. It was a six o'clock service in the evening, very accepting liturgy and group of people. I knew that I needed to, to go to church and reconnect with God. So I did, and late that afternoon I got dressed, and <laughs> and I walked out of the house for the first time as Gwen to go to church. As if that wasn't powerful enough when I got there and they read the gospel, it was the gospel reading of the Transfiguration, <laughs> uh, <laughs> the last Sunday of the, the Epiphany, and it was like, oh my God, <laughs> it was an overwhelming experience. And, and I was accepted by the folks there in that congregation, and so I've been there ever since. This happened in, well, about just over two years ago. How did you survive? How did you get through The thing that got me through, to be really honest with you, were the friends that I had in Trans-Episcopal, which is a transgender group within the Episcopal Church. And also, as I mentioned before, I didn't sleep a whole lot. But the thing that really helped me was I could sign into Facebook, and there was always a friend online that I could talk to 24 hours a day. That was truly life-saving. So I will never, ever speak badly about social media because it quite honestly saved my life. You've talked extensively about the idea that you must love your enemy. How do you do that when there's an organized, impassioned vitriol being hurled at you and your community every day? One of the things I hold on to is what Jesus said on the cross, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. I truly do carry that with me wherever I go. And that in and of itself, gets me through a whole heck of a lot. There are welcoming Episcopalian dioceses in other places. Why did you stay? At this point, I feel a real calling to have a ministry here. Really, over the past year, year and a half, I've been more and more involved in advocacy and activism here in the state. I have gotten involved in a number of organizations like Arkansas Transgender Equality Coalition, which is a trans organization that encompasses the entire state. Working for trans folks, I'm also involved in Pride Corps here in Little Rock, which is a youth center for LGBT folks and their teens and young adulthood. I have found that I am called to be here because there is so much work to do here and we're beginning to see the tide kind of change and there's some energy and movement in the right direction here and I want to be a part of that. This is Abby Dees and I've been talking with the Reverend Gwen Fry about her experience coming out trans in the pulpit. Is that a good way of saying it? Perfect. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Oh, Abby Dees, I am not worthy to sit in the same studio as you. You get the most interesting stuff out of people. Well, you just have to look for them. 
And you, have, you have to listen to people. And which you have is, to listen. Yeah. Not yeah. My well, speaking of, every <laughs> once in a while we get someone in the studio that we have so much fun with and who also opens our hearts and opens our minds that we cannot wait to get them back. And we've done it again. We've done it again. Who's and that? <laughs> yeah. Would you go get him? Oh, yeah, yeah. I think it's outside. <laughs> Sitting with us, that voice you just heard, is the voice of Scott Turner Schofield, who made history on the bold and beautiful last year as the first... Trans, something's happening with microphones. The first openly trans actor playing a trans character on a soap opera. But that really is just one tiny part of this guy's amazing journey. Hello, Scott. Hello. So you got stuck in Coachella traffic? OMG. <laughs> and you weren't at Coachella? No, I was not at Coachella. I was angry at Coachella. <laughs> yeah, I All can the see downside why. of Coachella, none of the upside. You know, a lot of people who may not have seen The Bold and the Beautiful have seen you for you've done a TED talk called yes. Ending Gender and I watched that today I actually watched that before and I love it because it's such a gentle but honest introduction to all of these ideas but Thank I still you. wanted to ask you and you talk about the labels and all the names and the intersections of sexuality and gender and identity and sex and all of these things but when you say ending gender which is something I think that you'd like to do what do you mean so what I don't mean is that everybody should, you know, wear sackcloth and shave their heads and, and look androgynous, right? Though androgyny is one of my favorite uh, gender identities. Um, <laughs> what I'm talking about is the way that we use gender as it is against ourselves and against each other. Right. That like when I come in and I see you uh, wearing a T-shirt and I'm like, is that a man's T-shirt? Should she be wearing a man's T-shirt? I mean, it would look a little better if it had a few darts in it. Right. Like like who am I, you know, like that I'm judging your womanhood based on that. Or Wenzel, like if, I, if I'm like, oh, I'm so glad he's wearing that kind of bowling looking shirt because that's much more manly and that really makes him more of a man to me. Right. Like like this is actually something people do. And it's so funny you mentioned it because when I put it on, I thought I think of this as male maternity wear. It's like. <laughs> I wear it to hide things. <laughs> well, you look good in it. Thank but, you. And the point is you look good in it, right? And that the tools of gender like clothes, makeup, haircuts, all those things that we use to express what our gender is should actually just be whatever we want them to be, right? Yeah. The only reason that they're – like you're wearing jeans right now. The only reason why there are two kinds of jeans, men's and women's jeans, is because they could sell us the same thing twice, Right. Right. So it's like it's all wrapped up in this thing that actually has nothing to do with us. And that if everybody was allowed to just sort of express who we are. And I mean, it's a very simple concept. Right. And it's a little kumbaya. Right. But it's like it's like really I, I love those people that you see who walk down the street and who treat their bodies and their experience of life as a work of art and everything that they're wearing and, and the way that they're moving their bodies and the way that they just hold themselves shows that they're totally comfortable with exactly who they are. Yeah. And it doesn't matter whether they're a man or a woman or something else, right? That's really the simple part of what I was saying. It's really about can we just be human and stop judging ourselves and start judging other people based on something that is just about capitalism and the industrial revolution. That's what gender is. Yeah, I mean, I, and I think about that. You pointed to my jeans and the way I'm dressed right now. If you saw me walking down the street, I don't think you'd necessarily think anything remarkable about me. Maybe you'd probably your gaydar would probably go off. I but, would think those glasses made you look super smart. Well, yeah, yeah, that goes without saying. <laughs> but I also know that you know, 50 years ago, that in parts of this country, what I am wearing today could have gotten me arrested under certain laws because Absolutely. it didn't fit. 
a gender norm. That, as I mean, 50 years ago, you had to be wearing three pieces of clothing that matched your sex. So we decided that when a baby was born and a doctor looked and said whether or not there was a penis, because by the way, Abby, did you know that whether or not, like that being a girl means being born without a penis? I just love that sense of absence. <laughs> it makes me feel so good about myself. Right, right. That that meant that you would have to wear a certain kind of underpants, a certain kind of thing on your chest, whether or not you had a chest. Sit with your mm. legs together. Right. And that pants were not okay. Yeah. Like pants in general. What? Right. There is something else that And you, that you could be arrested. Uh, that you could be arrested as a special, you know, bonus yeah. cherry. I remember something else that I really loved in the TED Talk. And uh, you talk about a four-year-old asking you, what's a woman? Oh, my God. And I thought about that, and I thought, I don't know how to answer that question. That is a hard question. I, I mean, mean, for both ones, but... Yeah. I mean, a lot of people would say, oh, well, that's yeah, like you said, you have a vagina and you have breasts and whatever. But we know that's not true. Right. I mean, that's uh, and as I answer, as I answered the four year old with a lot of sort of head scratching and thinking like, because what I realized with this, this was the first time anybody had formally explained gender to this kid. And she's asking me the power of that. Right. Yeah. And the responsibility, you know, exactly. And I don't even know what anything is. I'm I'm trying to figure it out myself, just like all of us, really. Right. And then I just realized that the simplest answer was a woman can be anything so long as she is smart and strong. Yeah. Period. That's the answer I would want my daughter to get from anybody else, right? Sounds good to me. Although speaking of what is a woman, when, when I found out that Scott was going to be coming in, I, and I don't know why this occurred to me, but I am aware that there are females who are not accepting of trans women. But I am not aware of males who are not accepting of trans males but my experience with all of it is pretty limited. Right. And I just like, wondered, I know how do you who feel? really aren't accepting your <laughs> well, <I, laughs> But I mean, do I you have to get in there what right lovely now. friends you have. <laughs> yeah. Well, do you have how to nice. find yourself in like some intensely male situation, like a soccer locker? I mean, it's like, what, what would the situation be where men... Mostly it's just on Twitter, I mean, really. But well, <laughs> Twitter, or sort of not believing that somebody who is trans yeah. is the gender that they identify as. Is that what you're kind of yeah. saying? I mean, yeah. I heard, I heard, and somebody put this on a blog, actually. Uh, somebody who's kind of important in Hollywood actually put this on a blog. I shall name no names. But they said, I can wake up in the morning and think that I'm Marie Antoinette, but that doesn't make me Marie Antoinette. Right. Which is a very transphobic thing to say. Sure. I'm not the only one. Right. <laughs> Do you wake up thinking you're Marie Antoinette? I, I believe it. <laughs> I think so. Right. And if you if that's who you want to mm. be, who am I to judge you? That's the whole point. Right. Let's just get to the humanity of it. But within you, our community, there mm. are people who. Not only within our community, way. but in all communities. It's like you either are on, you know, it's sort of a black and white issue. It's like you either have your mind and you're like, OK, you're a trans person and you are the gender that you say you are. That is who you are. And I respect that. Or you don't think that way. Or you have questions about it and questions are totally okay. Here's the thing. We are in a totally brand new place with this. I think I can tell this story. Comedian Julie Goldman, who I love, I think is just fabulous. Watch that show. Watch her show every time it's on tweeted because Caitlyn Jenner is also a very conservative Republican and mm. said some things that were just ugly and stupid about about Hillary Clinton, actually. And Julie Goldman put it out there into the world that Caitlyn Jenner knows nothing about women's issues, right, and should not talk about it. And I called her out. Mm -hmm. I said, that's transphobic, actually, because Sarah Palin also said exactly the same things about Hillary Clinton. And you 
you're not saying that Sarah Palin is less of a woman. Yeah. Right? It was challenging her legitimacy as a woman. Exactly. Not her moronic political views. Sorry. Right. right. <laughs> exactly. And it's like we can we can criticize Caitlyn Jenner for her moronic absolutely moronic yeah. political views all we want but we cannot say that she's not a woman at all like you can't like listen she's paid too much money for that okay <laughs> right like if, if nothing else all right um and she's put herself on the line and i totally disagree with her political point of view but i still think that she's done a great thing for society and i'll always be grateful to her for that so julie and i got into it online and it was a really respectful conversation and i led with what's true i love your show i'm a, i watch it all the time like and i was really shocked that you said this because you wouldn't say it to sarah palin and like that it is transphobia and i'm not just being a jerk calling you out i happen to know a lot about this right and julie came back at me with the same amount of respect and was like i would love to get together and have a beer and watch the show with you too like like you're right like i can be kind of bitchy sometimes but you know i just so i just kind of let that out there but you're right da, 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 you know what i mean and we totally respectfully let it go right and i said we are in a brand new cultural moment. Everybody has questions. Everybody's going to make mistakes and say the wrong thing, especially if they feel triggered or upset about something. Like, that's totally okay. We just have to be kind to one another. And that's the thing that's been getting me the most, this sort of awful climate, uh, the way that we talk to each other. Is... And this is one of the reasons that we love talking with you, because you really are out there. You're putting ideas that are very challenging to a lot of America. But you don't ever forget that there are good people who just don't know this stuff. How do you bridge that divide? I mean, I can think of a lot of people who say, um, get rid of gender, you know, ending gender. Oh, my God, the whole world's going to fall apart. This person's trying to undermine everything that's good and holy and right. everything else. And, you know, and then those people are passing these laws, these bathroom bills and oh. everything else. How do you bridge that divide? It's a huge divide. Don't you just want to scream sometimes? Oh, all the time. All the time. You know, the bathroom bill stuff like HB2 in North Carolina. So I'm from Charlotte, North Carolina. And, it, you know, it's been funny. These things have been following me from North Carolina. They've routinely done these, like, horribly homophobic and transphobic things. And it's really been a huge part of my development as a human being has been, like, somebody in North Carolina doing something horrible <laughs> and me having to like work through it and figure out how to overcome it, right? So it's in some ways like I want to thank all of the homophobes and transphobes of North <laughs> that Carolina is truly generous. for making me a great person, <laughs> right? <laughs> Rich in character and depth. You know what I mean? And, and also thanks a lot for making me want to kill myself when I was 15. That was really yeah. nice of you, right? And that's, that's what's really true about these situations. And that's kind of the depth of it, right? I put a thing out on my... Facebook and Twitter, because I, I also volunteer for an organization called Trans Lifeline, which is a suicide prevention hotline for transgender people run by transgender people. So you call and you know you're going to get somebody who gets some part of you, mm -hmm. right, which is really important. And the leader of that group posted that since HB2 was passed, their call volume has doubled and that this bill now has a body count. Yeah. So I just pasted that into a little image, and it's, I just said, bathroom bills kill kids. And it's right now in the last 48 hours, it's been shared nine, less, actually, it's been 24 hours. It's been shared 967 times on Facebook. It's, it's like crazy all over Twitter. And it's because people understand, like, the real depth of this. And to your question... I know that Pat McCrory does not understand trans people. I know that every single one of the legislators who passed that bill, which, by the way, also stopped municipalities from having to do the $15 an hour minimum wage 
thing, right? That's sneaky. Right, and also stop them from having to ever have to have non-discrimination bills passed, right? So it was like super sneaky in so many other ways. Oh, and by the way, we'll just throw this in as well, right? And that's what nobody saw. I know that none of those people has a transgender person in their family, really probably ever talked to a transgender person, ever. And that makes the difference. And when we get so, like, our worlds are so curated, right? Like, your Facebook feed only shows you who you are back at you over and over and over again, right? Like, it only tells you what news you want to see. You can watch CNBC or MSNBC or Fox News, right? You can, right? Like, like you only have to see the world the way you want to see it. And you never have to meet a different person anymore. And that's the way it is, is like, Go on Facebook and follow somebody who's different from you, well, now, you know? Abby and I, a few weeks ago, were having somewhat in jest a discussion about why, after these bathroom bills pass, isn't there a date and time where every trans man and every trans woman goes and stands in the bathroom and just stands there for an hour and just let people come in and say, that's what you voted for. Or the realization that they might not notice. Well, yeah. Right. (laughs) Right. True. Um, Yeah. Well, I think there's two things. I mean, that has been happening. The Advocate just put out a really cool thing of of sort of there's been a lot of visibility campaign stuff happening Mm. where people are taking selfies in bathrooms Mm. and they're like, do I really belong here? Like, hey, hey, Pat McCrory, I'm going to pee next to your wife. You know what I mean? Like, it's great. And at the same time, for trans women especially, it's super dangerous. Particularly like a lot of trans men tend to blend very quickly. Very quickly. We, we, yeah, it's very easy to kind of, it's much easier than you think to kind of blend in with masculinity, right? Like just a baggy pair of jeans and a baggy shirt and who knows, right? Well, the worst anybody's going to think is, oh, they must be European. <laughs> right, right, right. And uh, for trans women, especially if they transition later in life, it's harder to to change the shape of your jaw or to, you know, there's just a lot of physiological things that make you stand out. And those are the things that cause people. And this just happened in Portland, Oregon. Someone said, it's a man. And there was a mob around this woman and they beat her, right? Luckily, she got away. But this kind of awareness about these things is almost making it worse. Yeah, but I do wonder, maybe I'm looking for a silver lining here, especially the North Carolina bill. It does tag the bathroom bill onto a gay and lesbian rights issue. And to me, that's sort of proof that we do need to be in this together because they are using us against one another. Mm -hmm. And I do wonder if... There might be an effect that we are perhaps coming together more as a community and recognizing that we share in the outcome of this issue. I really hope so. And I was thinking about this, too, recently. Speaking of gay marriage, which obviously is marriage, right? But thinking (laughs) thinking about marriage equality, right? Um, That was so heinous and egregious to, to all of us because it was like the government telling us who we could and couldn't love. And now it's the government telling us where we can and can't pee. So, like, what do you do more? Like, how many more people need to pee than get married? True. Right? <laughs> right? Like, like this is this is really an issue. And I do hope that it does. And I hope two things. I hope that it brings lesbians and gays back into the equality fight who left after we got marriage it's equality. Hey, we, we got everything we, got we wanted. wanted. So, exactly. therefore, nothing left to fight for. Right. And, and we're, like, left out on the street, right? Um, but also, I think this is causing so much visibility among our straight allies. And, I mean, they're simply giving the message back to these people. The backlash in North Carolina especially has been so huge. You know, that's just said, like, you can't do this. One simply does not 
anymore have these politics. It's a bridge too far. Right. Well, thank yeah. goodness we live in L.A. where we have no public bathrooms, so it's really not that an is issue true. here. We have nothing but signs that say no public bathrooms. Right. <laughs> no one can use this. No, no bathroom for Ever. It. But, okay, so again, more reason to bring you back for more scintillating, wonderful, and and loving conversation, which I just... It's all about love. Yes, I appreciate that so much. Thank and you. very much in line with uh, the Reverend Gwen Fry, who I spoke to in the previous piece. She has the same approach. Yeah. She's fighting this one hard, but she gets it. she's all about the love. Yeah. Um, but what else are you doing? Um, well, I have like two things that I can barely talk about. I wrote a children's book with a wonderful woman named Anne-Marie Gardinier-Halstead. She has the longest name. And she's an anti-bullying advocate and also has a children's book already that's been getting a lot of attention. And so we wrote a children's book for transgender kids that also helps their parents. And it's out at publishers right now. But I don't I don't know what's going to happen with it. We'll see. Okay, yeah, so will you be um, putting updates on your website, which, by the way, is Scott <laughs> Schofield. And that's S-C-O-T-T-S-C-H-O-F-I-E-L-D.com. Um, Scott T. Schofield. Scott T. Schofield, yes. Oh, I thought, you know, you're right. There's, it looks like a dash, but it's Scott T. Schofield. Yeah, okay. So you can now we've Google got that clear. And Twitter and, yeah, follow Twitter, what Instagram, that sounds great. Facebook, all the things. Well, thank you for coming and sharing tonight. It's been delightful. And I know it wasn't easy for you to get here, so we appreciate that. <laughs> I wouldn't have missed Coachella. it. And speaking of appreciation... We could use a little ourselves, Abby, could Just we Just a little bit, and it's so easy to do. And by appreciation, we mean, of course, money. And, and membership. It, and membership, yes. If you just if you just go to the kpfk.org uh, and you pledge $25, you will be a member of this fine, upstanding institution that brings you fascinating people like you have heard tonight. And let KPFK know when you do that that you were listening to IMRU, please. Well, that's it for tonight. Our thanks to our MRU's coordinating producer, Steve Pride, our director, Michelle Marie Gilkison, our board out, Federico Garcia, and our Rainbow Minute producers, Judd Proctor and Brian Burns. And you can find us online at imruradio.org and follow us on Facebook at IMRU Radio. By the way, hit like if you haven't done that already. Just hit like on Facebook, please. please they're so important because I keep getting the Facebook page report, and I'm so aware now. Like, like, many, like, I like. Know, know. So easy to do. No money involved. Anyway, we'll close with a song from YouTube sensation Chase Holfelter that transposes a major key to minor for a surprisingly plaintive take on a community classic, which would be... Somewhere over the rainbow. Good night.
Chimney tops, that's where 